good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be. Wherever you are around this rotating globe, welcome to the other side of midnight, that kind of magical time between dusk and dawn where all kinds of things happen that normally used to only happen at this time of night, but now, of course, they appear to be happening 24-7, as I've said over and over and over and over again. And we're going to start tonight with a couple of news items where we swing into the evening with my very interesting guest. Um, and I'm really looking forward to talking to uh, Dr. Louise because this is something that normally doesn't come into my wheelhouse. So when the um, opportunity presented itself, I thought um, this would be a very interesting kind of change of pace. I thought we needed kind of a bit of, shall we say, historical perspective before we swing in tonight's guest. This is, of course, a leap year. <clears throat> and so the 29th of February in a leap year is a leap day. So uh, Ron Gerbron kind of looked up some things for me and I thought I'd give him a shout out. Um, on this date, in various time frames, um, in the Discordian calendar, this is the holy day of St. Tib, possibly a reference to the Catholic St. Tiborius, born in 293, executed in 304 during the reign of Diocletius. Miraculous powers were posthumously attributed to his relics, housed in the 8th century Benedictine monastery in Cesaro, later renamed Thibury in honor of the martyred boy. The relics are alleged to cure mental illness, <clears throat> so persons so deemed by the authorities would be locked in a basement room and only allowed out to attend ceremonies. So also on this day, this is the Christian feast day of St. Chapendier, a martyred saint in China, um, on this day, the Orthodox Church, the day of St. John Cassian, um, he was born. In 1288, Scotland made it legal for women to propose marriage with a fine to be levied upon the man should he refuse. 1288 on this day. Hmm. In 1960, now that's an incredible jump cut across time, the first Playboy Bunny Club opened in Chicago. Back in 1504, Christopher Columbus used the occurrence of a lunar eclipse on this date to frighten hostile Jamaican Indians. The Arwak were largely known as peaceful, so he must have somehow uh, pissed them off, or maybe it was the eclipse. Anyway, we could go down through a whole bunch of those. Thank you, uh, uh, Ron, for sending those. The only really interesting thing of note was, I think, in the year... Uh, 1712 in Sweden February 29th was followed by February 30th in an attempt to abolish the calendar by wrecking it and returning to the old ways of the reckoning of the year it did not succeed so anyway um, enough of that my guest tonight is a very interesting individual and uh, let me give you a kind of a thumbnail sketch and We'll expand on this when we get to talk to her. Dr. Rita Louise is a survivor of childhood abuse herself. She's emerged as a gifted empath and talented clairvoyant medical intuitive. Dr. Louise is a naturopathic physician 
and the founder of the Institute of Applied Energetics that trains students in the art of medical intuition, intuitive counseling, and energy medicine. Dr. Louise has authored six books and produced several feature-length and short films. She's appeared on radio, television, in movies, and has lectured on health and healing, ghosts, intuition, ancient mysteries, and the paranormal. Her books and articles have a worldwide circulation. Her latest that we're going to talk about sometime during the evening, The Dysfunctional Dance of the Empath and the Narcissist, and I swear it has no political import. Okay? So with that, without further ado, Dr. Rita Louise, welcome to The Other Side of Midnight. Thanks for having me, Richard. It's great to be here with you and your listeners. Well, this is kind of a, a different kind of show because I don't normally deal in personal relationships or in medical intuitives. What exactly is a medical intuitive? So a medical intuitive is an individual who, you know, and just said very plainly, which is kind of how I talk, is a person who has psychic abilities but talks about the health of a different individual. And so you can liken a person who is a medical intuitive to like an MRI machine where they can actually look inside someone's body and identify if there's inflammation or, you know, disease inside the body and then relate that back to the individual. Hmm. You know, so it's a diagnostic tool and, you know, but I'm a naturopath also. And so when people work with me in particular, they not only get the insights into what's going on functionally as well as emotionally, um, because I believe that in most situations there's an emotional tie to why they got sick in the first place, but they also get steps as to what they can do to achieve health and healing in their body. So you got into this field because you had a talent. Is that what I'm? Is that what I'm hearing? So I got into this field. So I, I had two loves in life early on. My first love in life was archaeology and anthropology. And by the time I was twelve, I had worked my way through the entire archaeology and anthropology department at the library. And uh, much to the chagrin at the, uh, of the nuns at the Catholic school I went to. And so once I was done with that, around the same time, um, there were two TV shows. There was the amazing Kreskin, who was a mentalist and had ESP. And there was a TV series called The Sixth Sense, which featured Gary Collins, who was a paranormal professor or parapsychology professor who also had ESP and would solve mysteries using psychic phenomena. And I became fascinated with the concept of, you know, ESP and psychic phenomena and started reading books and reading books and learned astrology and tried to do tarot cards, which never really happened. How, how old were you when this was going on? 12 and 13. Ah, okay, okay. And, um, you know, studied, 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 went through the whole 80s, you know, with the whole self-help uh, movement that was going on during that period. Finally found the Berkeley Psychic Institute, studied with them for two years, and emerged as a psychic. And I just wanted to be read of the psychic chick and talk to you about relationships, and I was going to be good with that. Um, but what I found in working with clients is that I was always finding their health issues, and the first question they would ask me is, well, what can I do about it? 
which is why I went back to school. I got a degree as a naturopath and then a PhD in natural health counseling. So it wasn't that I was necessarily looking to do medical intuition work. It kind of just fell in my lap, and apparently I'm very good at it. Mm. So. so you combine a right brain and a left brain approach to your clients, patients. How do you – I mean, when when someone comes to you, you not only can prescribe nutritional things and other supplements and whatever, but you also – have an ability to what look inside them to figure out mm-hmm. what's wrong before they even know there's maybe a- exactly and I joke around because the two sides of my brain really do operate independently because the doctor brain likes to ask questions and be very analytical and it's like okay so you're having some digestive disturbances and they kind of tell me what their symptoms are so now the doctor brain's going okay well that could be your liver so I'll take a look at that and it could be that there's something actually going on in your stomach or your intestines or you might not be digesting food correctly and so I'm making these little mental doctor lists right and then I change brains and the intuitive brain goes in and starts looking at stuff and feeling into it to see what's going on and I mean it's very interesting because I've gone to the point that I can actually kind of separate and go well that was the doctor brain talking right now but let me let me go back into that intuitive brain and so it's uh it's interesting how's that (laughs) (laughs) okay okay so someone comes in and they sit down in the chair and you've got your pad and pen, you're making notes. People, it is claimed that people do not know their own bodies. You know, we're so out of touch, particularly in Western society. Do you have people come in and they start giving you a list of things that they think is wrong and things that hurt and whatever, and some other part of you takes over and says, no, 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 look over here. They're not in touch with what's really wrong. Does that happen? I mean, that happens, and, and but they're not necessarily wrong. Sometimes they have a symptom that is more overt, and so they're having a discomfort in this area, but the reality is what the cause is is something else, or it's a secondary issue that's going on. You know, so they might actually have a kidney situation going on, but they think they have a bladder infection. For example, Mm. Um, more commonly is they go online and they fill their head with, it could be this, it could be this, it could be this. Oh, my God, yes. Or they go to the doctor and this doctor doesn't know, so they get a referral and they go to another doctor. And so they come to me, it's, you know, it could be MS, I could have lupus, I could have this, (laughs) I could have that. And then, and then, you know, and. You know, you do this work long enough. So what I found is that I have like this little, because I'm very visual. So I have a visual library. And so different disorders appear based on these library items. And so it's kind of like, I'll just look, okay, do you have MS? And I'll look in their body for these library symbols that I would normally see. And it's like, "Mm, not seeing that. And so wait, 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 wait. This talent of yours can actually assign a code almost like automatically you can look and scan and say, okay, they don't have A, they don't have B, they don't have C, they don't have C79D, whatever. Yeah. So, for example, 
when somebody presents with MS, and I didn't even know this. This was even before I became a, med uh, a naturopath and knew anything. I didn't have any anatomy or physiology background. <clears throat> I had this woman, and I just kept seeing what looked like open wires, you know, so if you have an electrical bus and they're not connected and there were these wires flying all around and I was doing energy work on her. I wasn't doing medical anything. And so in my mind's eye, I was like tying the wires together and wrapping black electrical tape around them <laughs> and doing all this stuff. Hey, this is what I do. And then I yawn a lot. And only to find out that this woman had MS, which I didn't know. And so the wires were metaphorically her nerves, her nerves. And so when someone says, well, it might be MS, I scan to look for any raw nerves because it will present as a, a, some, looking like something like a wire with no sheathing on it anymore. And so your brain is, is kind of translating automatically into a series of symbols. When you look at someone you automatically got a system now to where it shunts it this way, that way, whatever, to kind of go down a list. But you're you develop your own language, an internal language, to interpret what you're intuiting, sensing, seeing, connecting with, resonating with, whatever term we want to use. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Hmm. You know, sometimes people come with stuff that I've never seen before. I had a woman, um, and I, I don't remember what her complaint was, and I just kept feeling like she had water on her brain, you know, and it felt like, and I'm kinesthetic, and so it felt like she had water on her brain, and, and what I have found on the intuitive side is that if they're not hearing me, or if spirit is kind of pushing me in a direction, it'll nag and it'll just keep taking me back to the same spot and back to the same spot. And I couldn't get past the water on the brain. She was like, nah, 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 nah. So we hang up and I get online and look it up because I don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm just going, this is what I'm seeing and this is what I'm feeling. And I look it up and she goes, well, my mother had it. Well, wouldn't you know, it was hereditary. Oh, oh. And what was the what was the uh, presentation? That she had pressure on, in her head, you know, but she didn't have encephalitis. You know, there wasn't swelling. You know, her brain wasn't swollen. There wasn't right. a brain tumor. You know, so all of the things that you would normally think it would be, or that you know my brain would go to, I didn't see any of that. I just kept seeing this pressure. You know, like a liquid pressure. You know, when you look at things visually, and it, especially if you don't really understand what you're seeing, you can just relay best you can what the image is. You know, so sometimes I'll relay the image back, and they're like, oh, I know what that is. Hmm. It's like, okay, I'm good with that. Well, this it must is really interesting to do this work. I have to tell you, it is really interesting. Well, it sounds to me like if you're pursuing down a left-hand, left-brain path, the right brain kind of takes over and says, no, 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 don't miss that. You know, stop, pay attention. Mm -hmm. So how did you resolve this, that it was in the family and her mother and she didn't think anything of it? But obviously, if it's genetic, it could come into, you know, play later in life, right? 
you know, one of the downfalls about doing this kind of work is that you do a lot of one-time people, they get their information, and then you don't hear from them ever again. And oh. periodically you get feedback about, oh, well, you know, you told me to do this or you said it was this and and it was right. You know, I had this woman come to me and she kept getting sick, kept getting sick, kept getting sick, couldn't figure out why she kept getting sick, but her immune system seemed good. She was in a sick building. You know, there was oh. like mold or something in the building. And finally, she got them to actually test the building, and it was a sick building. Oh, my. And you can't tell that. All you can tell is there's an irritant or something that's affecting this individual's health, but you can't diagnose where it comes from or what it is beyond a certain point. I mean, I actually, with that person, I told her that she was in a sick building, you know, whether she was at home or oh. at work. You know, but it was coming from the environment, but it wasn't the environment outside. It wasn't like pollen or air pollution, which people have issues. You know, it was something coming from like an air conditioner. It felt that way. Hmm, interesting. Well, we don't have a lot of time till the bottom of the hour, and I wanted to go through some things here because in addition to the book that we're going to talk about a little later, you have a very eclectic um, – shall we say, interest, you know, stepping out of Eden, E.T. Chronicles, why myth and legend, what they have to say about human origins, dark angels, an insider's guide to ghosts, spirit, and attached entities, avoiding the cosmic two-by-four. Carpentry, obviously, is one of your talents. Okay. The, <laughs> the, the power within, uh, back to electricity. Okay. I mean, in your short life, because you're not that old, how Thank did you, you manage to cram all of this into the ability to actually write one, two, three, four, six, over half a dozen books? Well, one, I'm not that young, so that's one thing. And I I love research, and I love digging, and it's fun to me. And so we're... Okay, up until I learned about fishing, which is a new thing. Fishing? I mean, that's what I – fishing. I like fishing. Like rod and reel fishing? Yeah. Oh, okay. I always we found fishing required incredible patience. Actually, I find it to be very zen because you just sit out there and watch your little bobber thing yeah. and hope it goes down. In the meantime, you're out in the, you know nature and you're not in front of your computer, and it's very zen for me. Um but, you know, I don't read fiction. You know, I'm the kind of person that reads the really dry and dusty books that sits on people's bookshelves. So, for example, I read the Ramayana, which I thought was actually a pretty good book. Um, you know, I read our history books. I, I mean, I, that's what I enjoy. And people are like, you're reading that? It's like, it's pretty good. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, when you're doing these other, you know, if you're not working with with uh, patients or clients, as I guess you call them, um, and you're working on just research, does this intuitive side of you step in in that field and say, wait a minute, you got to go back, you missed something, or you see a pattern that you didn't consciously recognize? Or, in other words, does this intuitive side of you 
have more abilities than merely, and I say merely, you know, I don't mean that literally, uh, diagnosing someone's, you know, potential uh, problematic or health issues. Oh, very much so. Um, when I was releasing the ET Chronicles book, um, a friend of mine said, oh, did you channel the whole thing? Hmm. Which I actually found kind of insulting. Um, because, <laughs> well, that's because, because they I don't know how it works, I guess. Well, but I, there are people that write books about ancient mysteries, but they just channel it from some being from somewhere. I don't know. That's not my thing. Um, but my intuition does tell me it's like, well, take a look at this or take a look at this or, you know, follow this stream so you get to the end. You know, they don't fill in the details. They just kind of point, hmm. you know, well, look over here, look over there. And and then they'll say, OK, you're done. You know, so I follow the rabbit hole to wherever it's going to go. And then they'll say, OK, you're done. And it's like, okay, I'm done with that string. Let's move back to the next passage and follow that through. So this sounds to me like it's an interactive process, that it's not just you sensing something, but there is intelligence kind of pointing you in different directions. Am I right? Yes, very much so. Okay, who are the intelligences? I don't know. I call them the peanut gallery. <laughs> You know, there are some people that want to know all of this information from these spirits that hang around, and I don't need to know. I don't care to know. What I do know is that I, I am communicated with on two different levels. And so if I say chakras, are you familiar with that term? I would assume your listeners would maybe be mm -hmm. familiar with that term. So one way I receive information is in through my seventh chakra, which is kind of – I call that like the God channel. It's the knowingness channel, and you just know, like, well, I need to do this. And then there's the peanut gallery, and I swear to God, they sit off to my right side, about two feet away, and, and they're the biggest backseat psychic drivers on the planet <laughs> because I will sit there and go, oh, well, maybe I should work on this, and they're like, or I'm telling a client, oh, well, blah, 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 and they'll go, no, don't tell her that. You need to tell her this, and it's like, well, okay, but they're always right, so I, I don't argue with them anymore too much. Hmm. Gosh, I can just see this as a movie thing. <laughs> <laughs> really, you know, with this third act, this this group sitting there with the fourth wall down, and they're commenting, and it'd be a pretty interesting movie. So you're actually interacting with real beings in addition to sensing material stuff. And back to the medical thing, you know. Correct. Okay. But you say you don't care to know who they are. No. I'm okay with it. You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to have my judgments and my preconceptions contaminate the relationship that I have with them. Hmm. When did you start talking with these people? Well, now I'm starting to feel a little crazy here, Richard. <laughs> well, I mean, if, no. you, if you have a consulting board, you know, people are probably going to be interested to know at what point did you suddenly realize you could, bad metaphor, pick up the phone, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so I, for a very long time, was not a very auditory person. I still not a very auditory person. 
And so, I mean, actually, there was a very defining moment. I had just started naturopathic school, and I was working at a metaphysical conference doing session work with clients. And I went to tell my client something, and what I heard was, no. And I literally stopped (laughs) what I was doing in the session, looked up and to the right, and started, it's like, well, well, then what? What do you want me to tell them? And I'm literally talking up into space, in the air. And then I realized what I was doing. It was like, <laughs> In front of the, your, your patient? Oh, yeah, in, in a whole room full of people. But oh, yeah, oh. My client, yeah. Okay, well, that kind of gave the game away. <laughs> and so then we went on. And ever since then, you know, I have heard them and they probably have been there forever but I just never listened to them or paid attention or noticed them because it's it's on an auditory channel where a lot of the work that I do is very visual okay. or very kinesthetic you know and when you work intuitively you know you have different channels a visual channel a knowingness channel a feeling channel or an auditory channel and so some people have one channel stronger than another if you are working with these energies regularly, you can start to open up other channels to bring in information. And so it goes from being one-dimensional to multi-dimensional. Okay, so we'll hold it there. We're at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning is Dr. Rita Louise. We're talking about uh, what it is to be a medical intuitive, to mix left brain science, right brain intuition, and... What comes out is something very interesting, as we're going to get into in the next couple hours as we discuss Dr. Louise and a new book she's written about narcissists and empaths. And again, no political statements. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. other side of midnight.com talk radio with pictures on demand liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought join club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule photo episodes by guest or subject membership costs 9.95 a month 33 cents a day talk radio with pictures on demand the other side of midnight.com Welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight for this Saturday night, the 29th of February. The music you hear in the background is from our own Chris Rogers. He finally sent me the album he'd been promising to send me for some time. It's called 
the voyage home, and it we're going to be dipping in and out of it all this evening because uh, it's a rare treat that I get a full album from Chris. Thank you, Chris Rogers. Back to Dr. Louise. So, Doctor, um, do you want me to call you Doctor or Rita or just Rita? Not... <laughs> okay. You know, uh, my my good friends call me Doctor Rita. No, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> okay, thank you. Okay, so Rita, um, do you you would it be truthful to say that you kind of fell into this because you did not know what you wanted to do? until you found you had a mechanism to do it? Well, I wanted to do the psychic stuff. I mean, I didn't know that I would end up doing it, you know, full time. Um, You know, so I had an interest in that and had been studying new age topics. One of the things that I gleaned very early on in my studies was that if you became enlightened, quote unquote, that you would get psychic abilities as a byproduct. And so that's what kind of drove on my studies. And so by the time I started uh, school at the Berkeley Psychic Institute, I was already a library of new age information, but I just didn't think that I was psychic. And after being in their program for three weeks, I came to realize that I had been very psychic my whole life, but no one ever connected the dots. And I really feel like that has been my mission in so many areas of my life is connecting the dots. So whether I'm work talking about ancient mysteries, I work on connecting the dots and looking at the patterns and looking at the parallels and making it so that people can understand it. When I talk about metaphysical topics, so, all right, avoiding the cosmic two by four is not about construction. <laughs> it's about okay. avoiding getting the whack up the side of the head with the two by four, mm-hmm. thus avoiding it. Um, same with the power wind. That's about uh, psychic stuff and energy medicine, you know, but it, it tends to have a, a, a feel of I'm trying to explain what is really going on from a pretty pragmatic way. I used to work for uh, government contractors in engineering and document control. So that's my, my other background when I had like a real job. <laughs> and this one is not real. Well, you know, like where you went to work every day and had to like wear suits and you know right. that whole thing. That whole thing, okay. Yeah. Um, you really have an eclectic background in in terms of your book. What was the first book, the first subject that you wanted to get to know so much that you wound up writing a book about it? Um. Well, I mean, the first book I wrote was The Power Within, but that was just kind of like taking all of this information that I already knew and I just put it into a book. Um, the next book, Avoiding the Cosmic 2x4, really looked at energy and energy movement through the body and why we got sick from an energetic perspective. And so it brought together concepts such as the Kabbalah and the chakra system and looked at this whole process based on ancient texts. 
Because if it's old, it's got to be true. That's just kind of my thing. I like old stuff. And so that was what I was using as my base reference to understanding how energy flows and why it would become disturbed. Because if the energy is disturbed, then people develop illness and disease. So I want to frame this carefully because I'm a you know, left brain kind of guy myself. The science of this is you're looking at the idea that psychology, consciousness, you know, the, 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 the non-material aspects of us can drastically affect our wellness or illness in this three-dimensional existence, right? Right so far? Perfect. Okay. Now, are you of the school that we make this trip more than once, which means there could be holdovers in our physical body in this incarnation that are from some previous lifetime. And I know there are practitioners that work on past lives and clearing things that, you know, go from life to life to life. Are you, are you part of that school? So this is what I tell my clients when they bring that up. That we usually have enough stuff in this lifetime that we need to work on that we don't need to really worry about past lives. With that said, I have worked with clients where I am looking for, because I'm able to timeline, and so if there is something manifesting today, and I believe that there's an emotional cause, you know, and usually I'm very good at figure, going, oh, well, you feel this way because, you know, you felt invisible, you know, and I'm able to timeline that back to when you were about seven years old, you know, I can't tell you the exact situation, but you ended up feeling this way mm. and that created a core. And now everything that happened after that just became more layers on this core. Mm. But there are some people that I've worked with, and I'm going to say a very small handful of people that I've worked with, that I follow the timeline back and I don't find anything. I can't find the core. And it's those individuals that I suggest that it might be a past life situation. Oh. I don't clear that, but um, I have seen it, again, a handful of times. Usually I can find it in this lifetime. Now, when you're poking around, and I'm using that very deliberately, <clears throat> um, do you get the feeling that you're dealing with new people or old people in terms of souls? Interesting question. Um, I'm going to say more older souls. The younger souls aren't really interested in fixing stuff as much or um, yeah, I'll just leave it there. I don't really have, a, I've never really thought of that question before. Um, hmm. The reason I ask is because if in your practice you find that most maladies are layered from childhood in this incarnation, that people don't drag their problems from life to life to life, wouldn't that kind of fly in the face of what you just said now, which is most of the people you're dealing with are older souls, which means in the reincarnative model, they've been here again and again and again. 
I mean, is is there a contradiction in that, or is it really rare to drag your problems from life to life to life? I think that we bring our personality from past lives. Um, I think that we can bring some emotional things from a past life, but we don't bring necessarily the physical trauma from the past life. But when I'm working with people, and especially since I don't do past life work, um, when I look at them, I can usually find a core in this lifetime, you know, and so, and when you clear that, they feel better. And so whether that goes and helps to clear the past life karma and help them to recover what originated in a different life, I guess to me, it really doesn't matter Mm because they're feeling better. Okay. Because that's the goal, to make them feel better. Okay. Um, If we're dealing with multiple lives, doesn't it seem that, that, you know, if things are isolated between lifetimes, it means that at the end of life, it's kind of like there's there's almost like a tally sheet. If, If more people are not bringing problems chronically from life to life to life. I mean, that to me is a very interesting data point. You know, and I'm going to use Daniel Brinkley's concept. Um, You know, one of the things that he talks about is that when you die, you get to have your life review. And when you have your life review, you have the opportunity to look at what you've done, both positive and negative. Well, I mean, and knowing Daniel, he's written several books by now. Right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, but you have the opportunity to let go of that old pain and let go of that old trauma. And usually what you're talking about in the current life is that there is a trauma that has been, that is not resolved, you know, because that's what the core is. It's either a core belief or a core emotional trauma that creates the issue in the first place. And so if you're doing your life review and you clear all of that as part of your life review, then technically speaking, in my thought, you shouldn't really be bringing that forward. Hmm. Yeah, it gets to be a very gray area. You know, well, so. given that you have you know, hands-on experience, when you have dealt with people that have dragged something from another life, have you found out why and and why it was so persistent? Because in order for that to obtain, it must be really, really, really important. You know, the old Marin joke, the light bulb has to want to change. Mm-hmm. So when I find someone that has brought something through from a past life, um, one I mean, I do past life readings for people, but I won't even go there with my clients because I don't want to contaminate them. And they'll be like, oh, well, Dr. Rita told me this. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't. And so I will refer them to someone that does past life regression and that kind of work. But I did have a client who had that situation going on. I'm like, okay, so this guy was a firefighter and he injured his shoulder, but it wasn't really that bad. But he couldn't lift his arm up past a certain height, which made it so that he couldn't work because Mm. he was a firefighter. 
And he came to me wanting to understand what was going on from a more medical perspective and to do some clearing, whatever I could tell him, because he wanted to go back to work. And I'm looking at it and poking around, and I'm not really seeing anything, which is the same thing the doctors were saying. They weren't seeing anything. And so I changed my perspective to start looking at the emotional part. Maybe there was an emotional trigger going on, and I'm looking for this core, looking for this core, looking for this core. When you, hang on, hang on. When, when you say core, are we talking like the focus of the problem, medical? I'm looking for where the where the trauma, the inception of the trauma. So if you think of like a, a corn, you know, and if you've ever had a corn and and had one removed, they take off all of this callous skin, mm -hmm. and on the very inside, there's like a little nugget of sand. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I go looking for is that core, that little nugget of sand that everything else is based on. We could use the pearl concept here. Pearl works good too. <laughs> But it's it's the same thing. Yeah. yeah. And so with this guy. So you're looking for the root cause. Correct. But with this guy, I couldn't find anything. And I went to birth, and I went looked in utero. Nothing. 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 So I um, referred him to someone that did uh, past life regression work and did more was able to do healing. You know, so this was somebody that I've referred several people to, and. What I found out, after, you know, because the, the gentleman came back, was that he had had a past life in China, and he was on a bridge, and he was some kind of a warrior person, and the bridge broke, and he went down into this ravine, landed on his shoulder, and then died. And so, but he didn't know what ever happened, and so it was this unanswered question that he brought forward into this lifetime. My friend helped him to resolve it and to understand what was going on. And by the next week, his shoulder was better. Oh my. So it really could persist over, this must've been well, thousands of years. Right. And him having this accident at work, cause I guess he fell, you know, right. having this accident, triggered this past life memory and kind of brought it all to the forefront. Had he not fallen, I don't think this memory would have gotten activated. So there must be a physical memory connection for something to happen in this life and then have memories triggered that wind up being somatic in terms of, you know, a body problem in this life. Over how many lifetimes? And that must have been a Chinese warrior that's at least, you know, a thousand years, two thousand, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you ever get curious as to how does this <clears throat> information transfer work? I not when it comes for lifetime after lifetime, because there's not really any what I would say empirical evidence and there it just becomes so subjective to me that I don't like touching it. No offense. Hmm. You know, because we don't know what happens when we die. We don't know what happens, you know, when we transition. I mean, I love Daniel. I love the concept of the life review. You know, he's had past or near death experiences. So of anybody, you know, he should maybe know. One would think, but, yes. 
you know, but but is a near death experience different than actually dying? I don't know. I haven't like died, died, right? You know, and and, and you know, so I, I reserve it. I, I I don't I don't pull stuff out my butt, Richard. I just can't and won't do it. That's probably good because they wouldn't publish it. <clears throat> I don't know. I've read a lot of books. <laughs> okay, so so the this eclectic curiosity of yours, married to, together with this intuitive aspect, <clears throat> when when you actually started to, when did you want to write a book? Well, when did you decide? Because I know for me when that time was. But when you decide, okay, I now know enough that if I put something on paper, it might be worth for somebody else to read it. Because that's a, that's a big decision. So when I wrote the Power Within book, uh, that was like in the mid-90s. And again, you know, I was just kind of starting off in this field and wanted to use it for promotional material. Right. You know, so that was kind of the motivation behind that one. And it wasn't really heavily researched because – it was just stuff I already knew, you know, very hands-on, very exercise-driven, you know. So it was – I wrote it in three months. <laughs> it was quick, and I really didn't research it. Um, but when I went to write the Avoiding the Cosmic 2 by 4 book, I had just finished – so you're going to laugh. I had just finished my naturopath degree, mm-hmm. and um, – you know, and so I've gotten into the habit of saying, okay, so now what? And so the now what was, oh, well, now you get need to get your PhD and write a book. <laughs> and that was like a week after I got my degree, and I was just like, yay. <laughs> so I uh, got my PhD and wrote a book. And so um, – and that was a lot of the research that I did as part of my PhD dissertation was how our thoughts and emotions affect our health. And so that all came into play with it. Hmm. So you're of the, of the school that if you have really severe trauma in your early years, restricting this, just this incarnation, it can last through a lifetime without you ever really knowing what the problem was because we don't remember everything and certain dramatic things we deliberately don't want to remember. But it doesn't even have to be that traumatic. It could be, I didn't get that red bike that I wanted on my fifth birthday. You know, and as a five-year-old, the world could have ended. Hmm. You know, but as an adult, it's like, oh, well, that's silly. Right. You know, I, I had a client, it was a client friend who uh, came to me wanting to know why she couldn't lose weight. And this was in a 15-minute session at a fair. So this is, you know, those are always interesting. And so I said, well, you know, you're using it for protection. And she was like, I already know that, you know, what else? And so I start digging because, you know, we have to go through the layers of this pearl to, the you know, the next layer. And I'm right, like, right. well, blah, 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 blah already know about that. What else? So now I'm digging down to another layer and another layer and I'm about five layers in and I am sitting at the table like I want to regurgitate. I mean, I just feel stuff coming up from my stomach and I'm making these weird noises and I just looked at her and I go, what's with the vomiting? 
And mm. then she started to cry. And I go, okay, so what's with the vomiting? So when she was young, her parents would kind of force feed her fish because she was already overweight and she would throw it up. Oh, and, my. And I said, well, you're not losing weight because you're resisting doing what they want you to do. You're not doing it for yourself. You're resisting what they want. And then she cried some more. And, mm. uh, <laughs> and I just said, okay, well, that was interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, because one of the things that I, I do kind of take pride in is that, you know, I call it as I see it. And I try to maybe sugarcoat the really blunt stuff. But it usually comes out pretty straightforward. Hmm. So how did you go from <clears throat> self-help to, I see we got a couple of books here on extraterrestrial themes. Where, mm -hmm. where did that come from? So, um, so again, my first love in life was archaeology and anthropology. And so when the whole ancient astronaut things started and actually it was like 2009 and I was watching a show about 2012 on TV and it was interesting because they said they were talking about um, you know the Mayan tradition and they're going into all these details about the cycles and this and that and they say oh yeah in Egypt you know they have the same thing and in this place they have the same thing right and then I watched the show again and they didn't go into any detail about these other systems and so that just kind of got my curiosity going and I started looking into that and exploring that and looking again at these ancient ancient traditions ancient cultures the stories that came out of them and found out figured out in my opinion that the whole 2012 thing was kind of a hype um, but And at the same time, the whole ancient alien thing was starting to come to the forefront. And so I felt like I was at home and I was back doing – I love reading stuff about ancient cultures, you know. And the area that I have enjoyed the most is looking at myth and myth in relationship to science and myth in relationship to humanity and how we fit in the, into that whole equation. So what was the book that came out of this? Was that Dark Angels? Oh, no, that was another. That was in between the metaphysical books and the ancient mystery. No, it would be the E.T. Chronicle book ah. and the Stepping Out of Eden book. Okay. Why myth and legend, what they have to say about human origins. Origin. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> well, without getting too deep because I want to you know, get into some things in the next you know, half hour or so, but what what did you what was the biggest takeaway from your ET research? Um, that who we are as humans was programmed into us at a very early point in our history. You know, we think that we socially evolved just like apes and chimps evolved into humanity, but I differ with that opinion that the extraterrestrials had a very big hand in the development and evolution of humanity. Hmm. When you say ETs, are we separating now in terms of species 
or in terms of familial connections? Because I often refer to aliens have a different DNA, but ETs may or may not because they could be members of our very far-flung family that just don't happen to live here. So which category of ETs are you discussing? And I make some, uh, well, not in the book. I don't make any general, any assumptions about any species. There are a few that come to mind based on the iconography of the text. I usually just refer to them as the gods because that's how our ancestors understood them and knew them was the gods. Yeah, but we realize that they're not gods, right? Right, I understand that. You know, so based on texts, um, the ones that seem to fit into this cosmic narrative tend to be the reptilians, the Nordics, uh, the giants. And then there's this other group of what they call monster-type characters that are all kind of lumped into one big category, but they didn't have any power and they didn't have any control of what was going on on the planet because there's a whole political story that happens in the narrative and they were just kind of like over there and they really didn't even get any recognition in certain pantheons around the world. Hmm. Well, we only have a couple of minutes to the bottom of the hour. I'm sorry, top of the hour. I don't want to open up a, a can of worms here that we can't finish before. <laughs> yeah, so let's let's because I got some immediate questions on this old ET thing. You know, like your peanut gallery. Who is your source material for for saying that the politics here have been very complex? That's light years past archaeology and artifacts and you know mm-hmm. stuff. So the basis of the work that I've done was taking the myths and legends from around the world and compiling them together and looking at the narrative that they put forward. And so there are – so if you have like a giant Excel spreadsheet with in the beginning at one end Mm -hmm. and where I end was Noah's Flood for very specific reasons – you know, then there are narratives that you find in just about every culture on the planet. You know, uh, how humanity got fire, the placement of the sun, moon, and stars in the skies, the concept of a golden age, and you find these nuggets. So you're looking for recurring patterns. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. You know, and then you start placing them in this timeline, and you end up with a narrative. Hmm. Uh, With a beginning, a middle, and an end? Yes, sir. Oh, my. Well, we obviously... With with five worlds, five cycles of time. Okay, well, that's why we pick it up there when we come back. My guest this morning is Dr. Rita Louise, and we're discussing her body of work. She's an intuitive scientist who works with left brain, right brain, both brains, and it's not just in dealing with clients or patients. It's dealing with ancient archaeology, extraterrestrial history, myth, music you hear in the background is our own Chris Rogers from this new album he sent me, let me get the title correctly, Voyage Home. You're on the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Helgland, and we shall return home after a message or two. Don't go away. Don't go away. 
For listening to this exciting first hour now the second and third hour of the show is available to club 19.5 members only please support the show by subscribing to club 19.5 and join our very interesting community to do that please visit the website the other side of midnight.com and click on the join club 19.5 link in the left hand column as a club 19.5 member you'll gain access to the rest of this show and all previous 350-plus shows that we have done. Now, recent Club 19.5 member archive recording have the commercials removed, and the sound quality has been enhanced. You'll also receive a dedicated private podcast feed that contains these enhanced show recordings. And you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the archive if you prefer. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll also be the first to preview our new videos and reports. We'll be adding exclusive new features to Club 19.5 as we go forward. And boy, have we got some amazing things to tell you about in the coming weeks. So please support the show and don't miss all the exciting new things we have planned. I want to thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your guys' support, this show would not be on the air. Please help us continue growing the show by subscribing to Club 19.5 today. And when I say we really need you, we really need you. Over and out. Mm-hmm.